So, Mrs. M, where do I start? Well, guys, in the words of Louis L'Amour, start writing no matter what. The water does not flow until the faucet is turned on. No matter where you start with an answer, just start. Often my writing starts with a poignant line or some kind of epiphany that I really want the readers to get. It's the one last thing that I really want people to understand about my writing. So I start there. Hi. By the way, my name is Mrs. M. Welcome to Mrs. M's AP Lit Notes. So first of all, let me thank you for joining this podcast today. This is kind of out of the need for e-learning that I'm doing this. I've always kind of wanted to do a podcast, but never had the nerve to, and I'm going to be honest with you, and if you're one of my kiddos sitting here listening to this right now, guys, this is terrifying. You should have told me this when I asked you to do a podcast earlier. Good God. Okay. So I'm calming down my nerves, and I've asked all my kids sitting here in the house, what do I do with a podcast? How do I address it? How do I make this good? And my son and my daughter had some great words of advice of just do it. Just get it done. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to get it done and it's not going to be perfect. And the only thing in this world that's perfect is the word itself. So let's put the show on the road. First off, we're going to talk about this Q2. Um, Q2 for AP Kids, if you're listening. Q2 means question two from the AP exam that College Board puts out for AP Literature and Composition. Q1 is poetry, Q2 addresses prose, and then Q3 is a novel choice. Today we are going to focus on Q2 because frankly we did Q1 in class already. So Q2 though has to do with prose and I always get asked how do we know what to write about? What do we, what do we address specifically for Q2? And we're going to talk about that today. But first off, I want you to understand prose. College Board will give you prose from any time period, from any genre. I can't tell you to go read a specific piece of prose. So I myself had to go and figure out, well, what exactly are they trying to get you to do? Because I can't teach you unless I know exactly what they're wanting you to do. So I went through and I found this huge list that I believe it was Whitcraft Solutions, uh, a teacher from Drippings, Texas. Um, They put together all the prompts, all the Q2 prompts from 1970 on up through 2015. So I took those. And by the way, I will have that list attached to this podcast if you're wanting to look at it yourself. But I took all those and I broke it apart with what exactly was each prompt asking. And I found that there's a pattern. There is a definite pattern. The pattern is there's 10 style questions. So today, that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about those 10 style questions and exactly what are they and how do I answer those. Wait, Mrs. M, I'm not an AP kid. Hold on, it's okay if you're not an AP kid. 
If you're not taking an AP literature course, by all means, you don't have to listen to this. But if you want to learn how to properly answer a prompt, whether that's ACT, FSA, or SAT, or any of those standardized tests, I suggest maybe giving this a listen because I've taken a lot of tests in my life. And after looking at all these test prompts, I can tell you they're the same. Every question that I've ever asked in class, every question I've ever answered, they all kind of revolve around these style questions when we're talking about characterization. And yes, that's what we're talking about is characterization. So, hey, Mrs. M, I'm not an AP Lit kid. That's fine. But if you want to learn about how to answer questions about characterization, stick around. Have a listen. See if you can learn something. So the first of these style questions that we're going to talk about is environment. How does the environment affect the character? Well, there's actually two ways of looking at this. You can first look at the character setting. Where a character lives can give us a lot of indirect characterizations about them. Such as, say, a character uses a colloquialism that lets us know that they really aren't from around here. Like, they said it all wrong, right? Because they said it wrong lets us know that they are in the wrong setting. They're in the wrong place. They're in the wrong time. Okay? Um, more so, that little exchange can also tell us about that particular character's motivation. Did they say it wrong on purpose to make fun of somebody else? Or did they say it sincerely where they were trying to fit in? Those type of things can let us know what exactly are the character's motivations. The other thing when we talk about environment are what is physically in their environment? What's getting repeated? And that's the big thing repetition. What's getting repeated in their environment? Because repetition is one of those things that if I'm telling you more than once, then it's something important that I want you to remember. So let's look at Poe's Telltale Heart. Um, if you haven't read it, I actually attached it to this podcast so that way you can read it. I suggest stopping here. Go read it. It's only a page and a half. It won't hurt you. Poe's pretty big deal, okay? So let's, let's read them if you haven't. But if you have, let's talk about that environment that gets repeated. What's in the environment that gets repeated? And how does Poe manipulate the environment to tell us about that character? Um, one of the things that gets repeated in the environment is heart or the beat of the heart, the sound of the heart. It gets repeated. And as we go through the story itself, that sound becomes louder and quicker and legitimately gives us the pulse of the story. So the heart there is used in the environment to not only quicken the pace of the story, but also let us understand that the mind of the protagonist is also quickening. 
you know, Poe also uses the environment in the story on a very literal basis. He takes this big open house that the protagonist starts in and he starts closing it in on him. Um, lines such as black as pitch room with the thick darkness, thick darkness, that, that whole line, thick darkness, like it's just enveloping the protagonist. It's causing this claustrophobic feel. So the author is using this claustrophobic feel. So you would almost feel that quickening, that, that panic that the protagonist is feeling. So when we talk about how is the environment used to develop or reveal, or how is the environment used to characterize a character, these are the things that we're talking about. So let's talk about the second of these style questions. Um, we're talking now about what literary devices reveal about the characters. <clears throat> so I'm going to continue using a Telltale Heart because one, I've already attached it to this podcast and it's there and I don't want to attach a bunch of different ones. Two, most of us have read it. So when I'm talking about it, you should understand what I'm talking about. So we're going to look at the literary devices used in A Telltale Heart that reveal uh, the characteristics of the main character. So first off, I'm going to use metaphor. Why? Because I'm really good at metaphor. Not everybody is. I get that. So my suggestion to you is to just Google literary devices. It's not that hard. Um, you can have a list of 10 top used literary devices within a matter of seconds. Find which ones you're good at. Use those. Anytime you see a prompt that says the author uses and gives you a list of three literary devices. Guys, that's a suggestion. You don't have to use those. Use what you're good at. Write about what you're good at. I'm good with metaphor. We're going to use metaphor today. So I'm going to read a quote that comes from A Telltale Heart. It is a wonderful line for me. I love it because it is the first time that we really get to understand that this guy is not what he thinks he is. So right after he's talking about that the old man had kind of hushed away all the insecurities he had, like, oh, that was just a cricket. Oh, that's just a mouse. When actually it was the killer coming in through the door. Well, the guy says... All in vain, because death, in approaching him, had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. You know, this metaphor of death is huge because it lets us know that the character, it reveals something about the character. What it reveals to us is that he sees himself as death. He sees himself as someone who is supposed to make people die. Okay. Why is that important? Now? Well, because now the reader knows. The readers understand exactly the intentions of the protagonist. He is going to kill this guy. And now it, it hypes up what we are anticipating happening. It increases that thrill that we're continuing to read. Is he going to murder this guy or is he not going to murder this guy? Um, the other thing that I like to talk about a lot is personification. I love looking for personification. It's easy for me to understand. It's easy for me to go, oh, you're making that into human-like quality because that's a symbol. So the one thing that I liked 
in this is in Telltale Heart, he talks in the beginning about how he was, he was quickened by this disease, that this disease of his um, made him better, made his senses better. Um, but then he also talks about when this, when this idea of killing first came in, he says, it is impossible to say how first the idea entered my brain, but once conceived, it haunted me day and night. He's giving the idea a personality. He's, he's saying the, the idea itself, um, was, was detached from him, that it haunted him. It was almost like a demon coming to him. Um, it wasn't something of his. By giving this idea of detachment from the character, it allows us to view the event almost as if it was detached from the character. And we are also able to see how the character doesn't feel any mourning because of this detachment. This wasn't him. This was the disease. This was the, the idea that haunted him. This wasn't him. So he has no remorse. Number three, character development. Well, this one's a little easier to see, at least for me. Character development is like understanding your friends. So you don't really understand your friends when you first meet them. But through their actions and through the things that they say, you start understanding who they are. You understand their motivations. You understand what their dreams are. Same thing goes with characters. A writer will develop a character in the same way. Character development, you're looking at what is the writer saying? What is the writer doing with that character? Um, how is that character's motivations being revealed through the text? So when you read your prose, start reading it and looking at what is my character saying? Um, if you need to do a T-chart, do a T-chart of things that, you know, the characters are saying about that character and the things that the character's saying about himself. Do that sort of stuff as you are annotating for your answer. But when it asks for development, it's asking for how did you find out who this character was and who do you think this character is? All right. The writer will put very specific things in for you to understand. Uh, again, with Telltale Heart, Poe specifically puts in the heart. He specifically puts in things like the retraction of the environment. These are all developments of the character. Yes, we can go back and forth through all these uh, types of questions. They're very fluid and you can see where I'm gonna use literary devices for the development. You're going to use literary devices for all of these. And if you're not, okay, it's not going to be the greatest of writing. It'll be okay writing, but it'll be writing where you've made a claim. And that's what I got to say. The biggest, we're going to take this time out right now and start talking about claim, guys. Biggest thing I can say is make a claim. Make some kind of statement. Give me some kind of opinion that's not vanilla. Like, I don't want everybody else's opinion. I want to know your opinion. I want to know how you saw this. I don't care if the way you see it is right or wrong. I just want to see how you see it. So back to development, how do you see the character developing? What 
What exactly gave you those ideas? You didn't just read this and go, oh, there's the character. No! The writer put specific things in for you to see the character. So what, what was it? What was it in that writing that made you see the character? How did that character develop in front of you? Make a claim. Make a claim. So the fourth category that we're going to talk about is dramatize. Uh, a lot of times these questions will ask, how is the writer dramatizing the character or the situation? So first, let's talk about what does dramatize mean? There are two meanings. One of them is, of course, to create or adapt for a movie or a play. The other meaning is the one that we're talking about here. Uh, it is to exaggerate the seriousness or the importance of a situation. For this one, we are going to look at Poe again. I mean, come on, it's there. Might as well keep looking at it, right? So, uh, the exaggeration of the sound of the heart not only speeds up the pace at which we read, but the exaggeration also connects us to that mania at the that the character is feeling, the, the sound of that heart thumping, 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 that creates in the reader this agitation in which now we can understand how the protagonist is feeling. Um, I want you to think of how you talk to your parents also. When you want your parents to do something for you, you are going to over-exaggerate the good parts. You're going to tell them how great everything is. There are so many adults involved in this, right? You're not going to tell them about the bad things, but you're going to tell them about all the good things. Why are you doing this? Because you want to change the perception your parent has on the event that you're wanting to go to. Same thing that a writer is doing. When a writer is over-exaggerating parts, they're attempting to change your perception. The question you need to ask is, if the writer's doing this, just like you had an intention, you had a motivation for exaggerating parts, you wanted to get to go to wherever, the writer's doing the same thing. So what are the writer's intentions? That's where the answer is. When you figure out the writer's intention, that's where your claim should be. The writer is intending to do this with the dramatization. That's... That's the answer there, okay? So guys, when you're looking at dramatization, ask why is the author wanting to change my perception? There's your answer. Let's talk about number five, experiences. This Q2 question is going to ask you about how does the experiences of the character change the character or change the outlook of a character. So this style question wants you to really look at the indirect characterizations. What's happening to the character? What's being done to the character? Who is saying what about the character? All these things will change that character. Just like you change with your experiences, the character is going to change with theirs. So we're really looking at how do these specific events impact the character and how do these characterization changes impact our understanding, um, impact the perception, impact the point of view, 
these changes can impact a number of things. So find one. Find one of these things that it changes. Um, if the experience changes the character's outlook of the world, write about it. That's a great one. So make sure that you're looking at how are these experiences changing the character and specifically what is it about this change that is so important. So we're going to look at a question style that is looking for specifics. Um, you're going to see a question style that asks for how does the writer produce blank effect, okay? So they're going to ask like how does the writer produce a satirical effect or how does the writer produce a comedic effect? This is a very specific thing. It's asking you how are you feeling about this and it's asking for a specific feeling type, okay? So mood is involved here. So you're going to definitely look and annotate this passage based on how are you feeling through this passage. I want you to also understand that writers do those specific effects for a reason. So say a writer produces satire. Satire is to look at the folly of man, look at what man is doing wrong. So when you look at this passage, you are now going to look at it through the lens of where are we the absolute stupid humans, right? So when you look at a prompt and it's asking you for, you know, how to identify where the writer produces a satirical effect, you're looking for these exaggerations of folly, right? Make sure that you're paying attention to what type of effect they're asking. All right. If it's comedic effect, I'm looking for humor. I'm looking for what kind of humor it is too. The kind of humor, whether lowbrow or highbrow, will tell me what the message is for this passage. It'll give me the broader meaning. And ultimately, guys, that's what we're answering. We're answering what is this broader meaning to the, the work. Um, yeah, it's just a little excerpt. You're not going to understand the work as a whole. That's a dumb question, right? But you will understand a broader context. You'll understand what was the intent for this section. And that's every time, every time you answer a question, it needs to be, what is the writer's intent? What was, what was the point? We all have a point. So what was the point of this? And so when you look at the effect of a writer, there's a, oh, there's a point, okay? There's a point the writer is trying to make with that set effect. And that again, that is where you're going to find your answer. You're going to find your answer in those words, the words of what is the intent of the author. Okay, right now you're going to get a two for one because complexities are complexities. And there are two categories, complexity of character and complexity of character towards things. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of weird. I know. Basically, anytime you see the word complexity in a Q2 question, let's think about one thing, shall we? Subordinating conjunctions. Weird English term that you can forget as long as you don't forget the following words. Than, rather than, where, as much as, whereas, even though, although, however... 
those, those are subordinating conjunctions. And those are how we convey in our claim that something's weird, something's complex, okay? Those words help develop complexity. Without subordinating conjunctions, it could potentially be perceived as you're not answering the question. So what's complexity? Well, it's the weird stuff. It's that it's complicated status. It's that she hates reading, but she's super smart. It's the vicious fight with a sibling, but in the same day defending them. It's the gray areas of life. What do those gray areas tell us about the character or the relationships they have? Think about your complexities. If you were a character, what would your gray areas be? And what are those gray areas telling the reader about life? The ninth style question that we're going to talk about is directed towards narrator's attitude. First, let me get this very clear to y'all. Narrator is not the author. I don't care if they share the same name. They are not the same. For the sake of the question, please remember this. They are not the same, okay? This is where we are going to consider the tone, though. And remember, I told you tone and mood are different. Tone has to do with the author. Mood has to do with you, okay? So we're not looking about how you feel for this. We're looking at how the author feels about this, okay? And the narrator's attitude towards this, okay? So you're not even in this equation, okay? All you're doing is picking up on their words, right? We are going to pick up on feeling words. So we're going to look through and annotate our excerpt and we're looking at those feeling words. When you find these words, look at the connotative meaning of these words. Question, especially charged words, all right? This is where a big difference can be found, all right? There is a difference between I am heartbroken and I was shattered. Those huge differences in connotation let you know narrator's attitude. If a narrator was heartbroken, okay, they're sad. But if the narrator rather says, I was shattered, you know that the sadness was so much deeper. Like their pieces couldn't be found. They were so sad. Finally, last style question. Social commentary, all right? This is actually one of my favorites. This is the question that you can argue aside with. And as my kiddos know, I absolutely love arguing aside, okay? I just do. It's one of the things I do. I love analyzing literature and I love arguing what the author's meaning was. So this is this is a question right up my alley. But for you guys, let's... Let's look at what this means. What do we have to do to answer this question? So first, I'm going to go back to a telltale heart. And we're going to look at the fact that we can argue certain things that Poe's trying to say about society. Okay, so Poe could be saying that there are dangers of the mentally ill. Or he could be saying that there is an extreme intelligence to be understood about the mentally ill. 
just depends on which side you're going to get on, right? So social commentary is taking this piece and understanding what was the writer trying to say about us as a society. Um, make a claim based on the passage. And again, remember, I can't say it enough. Make a claim. Make a good claim. Make a claim that you want to talk about, okay? Not a claim that you think is going to be the one that is the right answer. I don't care about right answer. I claim, I want to claim. I want to hear you. I don't want to hear a right answer. I want to hear what you think, okay? Because when it comes to literature, there are no right answers. So make sure you make a claim. Make a claim based on the passage and what you know about that time period. Make a claim about what you get told about the author, okay? These claims need to be aimed at some type of social problem or practice that is abundant during that time period. Make sure to read the passage with searching for a message in mind, okay? These claims also need to include, wait for it, subordinate conjunction. <laughs> Told you you could forget that word, didn't I? Well, I brought it back up. Remember, subordinate conjunction is that although, whereas, those words that combine two clauses, all right? So subordinate conjunction, because these claims should include a comparison, the perceived reality versus the wanted reality of the author. All right, so we are now at the end of this podcast. I have talked about all the different style questions that I could talk to you about. I have reiterated, make sure you make a claim, claim, original claim. I don't want you to think of what's the right answer. I want you to know your answer. So make sure you make your own claim. And also to my kiddos, oh my goodness, this was hard. This was really hard, and now I have to edit all this, and we'll see how this ends up. But to my listeners that are wanting to stick around, let me know. Leave me a voice message, my kiddos. Also leave me a voice message. Tell me what you think, and you can even laugh at me. That's fine. Um, I was laughing at myself several times in this. So, until next time. Thanks for listening in to Mrs. M's Lit Notes.